There you go. It's wonderful to hear from uh, around the world, and uh, Grace and Solid are well, expecting their baby soon, for those who know them. Um, on the slide there, you'll see the flags of some of the nations, some of the nations that are actively involved in Redeemer, that will seamlessly come up there. It's wonderful to see just the, the diversity that God is not helping us reach out there, but also is here in the midst of us. Um, if you're not a Christian, or the church is kind of new to you, and you're looking in today, um, as I said, I'll begin to unfold a little bit of why this is actually a really big deal for every Christian. And um, you're going to have to strap in your seatbelt because I'm going to go really quickly because I know you're looking forward to the food um, already. But as Christians, we are a people of, uh, of a story. We are living in and living out the story that God has. And in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to go from the first pages of the Bible to the last pages, okay? So uh, bear with me. I don't expect you to remember it all. Um, we're, we're a people of a story, and we're living in what theologians or what we would call a now but not yet age. Can you say now but not yet? So what we mean by that is in the coming of Jesus through his death and his resurrection and his ascension, to heaven, he inaugurated, he brought in a sense of the kingdom being here. So Jesus would say things like, the kingdom is at hand. And in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray, let your kingdom come. And when we talk about the kingdom, what we're talking about is the rule of God. So as Christ defeated the powers of death and sin and darkness and the devil, that he is now the ruling, reigning king. And he has delegated a lot of that authority to us. So the kingdom is here, but one day... In the new heavens and the new earth, as Christians believe, when Christ returns and we're caught up or resurrected to be with him, it will be the consummation of that kingdom, the full consummation, i.e., where there is no presence or power of sin anymore. We live in an age now where Christ rules, but there is the presence of sin. It holds no power ultimately over a Christian. Hallelujah. But we live within the presence of brokenness and sin. So we're in the now, but not yet. So when we pray for healing, some people are healed. Hallelujah. The kingdom's at hand, but not everyone is healed. And we wrestle, yearning for the day when everyone will be healed. So we live in this now, but not yet kingdom. So as a church and as believers, we look forward to what this full kingdom looks like. And not only do we pray, let that kingdom come, we try to model it and we try to live it out and pursue it. And so when you get to the end as it were, of the Bible, this revelation that John had of this glimpse into what it's like in heaven. We read things like this in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. There's this cacophony of praise and adoration going on. And you've got elders and amazing creatures saying things like, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's a theme that will be the focus and is the focus of much adoration of Jesus because he was able to ransom people from such diversity. It's why we have flags. It adds color to the room, but it speaks about what is in our heart that we get from the Bible. And then in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see this, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits 
on the throne and to the Lamb. It's multilingual, it's multicultural, it's multinational. It's a gathering of the redeemed, and it's not optional for a church to buy into this or not. This is the future of the people of God. Now, obviously, a lot of churches will live in pretty mono kind of cultural slash ethnic settings, but the heart that we're to carry as Christians is the heart of God, which is for every nation, people, and tribe. And we live at a time when you don't have to go far to meet someone from somewhere else because the world is becoming this mixed place with lots of travel, and it's beautiful. But there are still 7,425 unreached people groups in the world. Now you can find out how that's worked out by going to the joshuaproject.net. They do a brilliant job of tracking all these unreached people groups. But they are groups which have no indigenous Christian presence. Okay? So over 7,000 still, and that equates to, I think, billions of people. So there's still lots of people in, to be reached for the gospel and have an indigenous Christian presence. But that's the future picture. But it's not always been like that. Um, and so we're going to go now go back to the, to the beginning of the Bible in, in Genesis. And you see what happens in Genesis. God creates mankind. And he says to them in this garden, <laughs> uh, he says to cultivate and subdue the earth. Because the trajectory was to go from Eden, where man and woman were in total unity with each other and in unity with God. And to develop and cultivate the world without the blemish of sin, but following God. And it would result in what we see in Revelation, which is a garden city. Okay, it's going to be a physical place. When Jesus returns, we're going to be resurrected and be given our physical bodies. Just as Jesus right now has a physical body. And there's going to be beautiful gardens and whatever it might be. Eden leads to that, and we're meant to cultivate and shape that. But obviously something went wrong, didn't it? It's what theologians call the, the fall. And so the fall is when mankind turned their back on God and rebelled. God said, you can have freedom of everything, but listen, I'm not, you have a free will. So don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because that would symbolize I'm not trusting God to know all and do what's best. I want to be self-determining. I want to have it, and I want to determine for myself what is good and right and true. And so Adam and Eve sinned, and they endowed to the tree. And from that moment on, there was, this, there was this brokenness. And the Bible says we now live in a time of groaning. Can you say groaning? Because we want to get back to Eden, but Eden and more. And there was this separation between people and between God, and God mercifully covers their, their shame and their nakedness with fig trees because for the first time they were felt shame because they had sinned against God and it mars relationships with, with each other. And this significant hap happens that you read in Genesis 3, 24. It says this, after sending them out, so they could no longer dwell in Eden, which, by the way, is a temple. It's where man and God connect with intimacy and there's full life. And they used to walk with God in the Eden. Eden. But because they sinned, God is righteous and he must bring judgment. But in his mercy, he cast them out of the Garden of Eden and so begins the plan. But he cast them out with a promise of the coming Messiah who would one day restore this access and this connection with God. And so we read in Genesis 3:24, After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim. Can you say cherubim? Who knows what a cherubim looks like? We, we kind of have some idea, but we're not sure. But, uh, but it, we'll get there. There's a, I want you to note that because it's important. To the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of 
life. This place of access for all people to the presence of God suddenly became blocked, limited, cut off due to sin. And you will feel this when you sin. You feel a distance. When you wrong someone, you feel a distance with them. When you sin against God, there's suddenly this, this weird distance. Now we get to call on Christ and say, because of Jesus, I can come close again. But there was this cut-offness until the coming of the Messiah, which we will jump to in a little while. But God so loved his people that even in this interim place, while they were waiting on the Messiah to make a new way, they, God gave them the tabernacle and then later the temple as a way that God could still connect with them. So when you come to Israel, bear with me. If you're new to church, I realize we're going quite quickly. God's people were a nomadic people for many, many years. And God gave them the tabernacle, which was this place of meeting with God. And we can see a picture of the tabernacle up on the screen. So it was this tent. And in the tent at the far side, you had the most holy place. That's where God's presence was, and only the high priest could go in there once a year. And then there was this curtain there, that first purple curtain, and inscribed on the curtain was the image of a cherubim, because they guarded the most holy place for people to go in. And there was a veil of separation that God's people couldn't come in. And then you had uh, the, the outer the outer area where you have a candlestick with candles, which represents the tree of life. It's, it's Eden, but in a tabernacle. There's the law, which is the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And so you had this tent that symbolized the presence of God, but you had this curtain, this veil where the cherubim, remember the separation in Genesis, said no one can come in here, only the high priest once a year. And he had to go through all sorts of ceremonies to cleanse himself. And it was only the people of Israel who had this. Every other nation did not have access to God. And so the most vivid instance of this theme is finally woven into this curtain, separating the holy, the holy place. And then you read about this in Exodus chapter 26. It says this, hang the curtain. So God gives very specific details to his people how to build this because it's looking forward to something. The Old Testament isn't just an old bit of reading in the Bible. It's this unfolding revelation. And there's shadows and pictures that then find their culmination in Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth. So it says, hang the curtain under the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony there behind the curtain so the curtain will make a separation. Can you say separation? Again, it's there, this separation for you between the holy place and the most holy place. Put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And this was just for Israel. So you have this separation. If you weren't part of Israel, how do you connect with God? You might know there's one true God. How do you get there? If you're a normal Israelite, how do you connect with God? Well, you go through a priest. And only once a year can the priest go through the curtain. And um, sometimes he wouldn't come out if he hadn't cleansed himself properly. Because it was the holy place. And when you enter the holy place and you're riddled with sin. And obviously it's only a picture. And so you have this separation, this I can't go in, and at best I can get close if I'm a Jew, but if I'm not a Jew or I'm not Israelite, I can't go anywhere near. And then you come to the New Testament, and in the time of Jesus, the temple is now not this tent, and even before that, there's this physical building. And so you have a picture of what the, the temple would have been like. This is the, the inner courts of the temple. You have the most holy place again, and again there's a veil with the cherubim inscribed on it. And we'll come to it in a bit when, but when the temple curtain was torn in two from the top to bottom, it's this separation that was torn in two. 
So you go on and there's a wider temple. So this is part of a wider temple complex that you can see on the screen. Now, if we can go to the next slide, Sam. So you have this wider temple complex. The bit in the middle is what you've just seen. And then you had a court of the Jewish men. And then you had a court of the Jewish women. And it's not that people weren't, the men weren't allowed in there, but you couldn't go any further. And then you had the court of the Gentiles. So you see the little wall around it. So the bottom right label there. There's a little wall around it. And inscribed on that wall was this. So if you were not a Jew, you couldn't go any further than that wall. No matter what ceremony you went through, no matter what cleansing you went through, if you weren't a Jew, any Jews here, most of us would be what the Bible calls Gentiles, the nations of the world. So we wouldn't have been allowed to go anywhere near there. We would have had to stay in the outer courts outside that wall. And if we approached the wall, what we would have read is this. Anyone not of Jewish birth going further will be responsible for their own death. Because there were these pictures talking about separation and holiness. And the welcome for the nation. So if you're from another nation and you thought there was one true God, let's go to the temple and worship him. You were met with this barrier. You just couldn't go through. And even if we were the Jew, you had to go through endless rituals and you get in and you get a bit closer and you get a bit closer. And then, but there's this high priest. And so you have this great separation and no hope for the nations. A bit of hope for the Israelites if you know, the priest got it right and on their behalf cleansed himself and sought before God. But, but you and I would have no hope of coming to, coming to God. And remember, in Revelation, we read about the, every nation, tribe, and tongue because the temple is then opened and something has happened in between. And hallelujah, most of us know what that is. Obviously, Jesus has come and a series of events took place as Jesus breathed his last. There was darkness over the earth. There was an earthquake that struck. Tombs of dead saints were opened. And then in Mark chapter 15, we read these verses. Jesus let out a loud cry, breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That verse means a lot by itself, but when you go on the trajectory we've just gone on, think, it was torn. There was no hope before that. And do you notice where it was torn from? Top to bottom, because as God poured out his judgment on Christ, and, and he became our great high priest forever, hallelujah, from top to bottom, this dividing wall, cherubim, ever since Eden that said you cannot enter, it was divided so that now you and I can access freely into the presence of God. Hallelujah. And the reason International Sunday is a big deal is because of that, that we now look forward to what is to come. You, every one of us in this room, are international <laughs> in the sense that we were not of the Israelites and now we can come freely and because of what Jesus has done. Because we don't need some human priest who's flawed himself to repeatedly cleanse himself and go on our behalf. We have Jesus who has gone for all time on our behalf. Hallelujah. You don't need a holy person because guess what? There is no holy person apart from Christ. You know, we have been cleansed. Hallelujah. Now we have a high priest who's perfect all the time and can go before the Father all the time so that you and I have access and freedom and redemption. The curtain is torn. The earthly temple was over. That system, that way of connecting and relating to God was finished. Hallelujah. So that if you got saved this moment now, you can be as close to God as any other Christian has. Yeah. Because you get there because of Jesus. Can you say Jesus. So when we celebrate the nations, we're proclaiming the gospel. It's not a gimmick. It's actually saying this is our inheritance. We are the nations. And when you read through Scripture, you think, I couldn't. There was this barrier. There was a separation. And now 
we get to come before the Father. And this last bit I'm going to summarize. So Sam on tech, good luck keeping up with me, my friend. So in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read it all. I just want you to hear this. And then what we're going to do is we're going to break bread and we're going to pray together. Because that's one of the greatest symbols of the unity that God comes And I'll explain a little bit more of that. So in Ephesians 2, we read this from the New Living Translation. Paul is writing. He's speaking about what I've just said. He says, don't forget that you, Gentiles, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathen. Turn to the person. No, no, don't. (laughs) By the Jews. (laughs) That's why we need forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Um, Who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. This is you and I. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought us peace. He united Jews and Gentiles. If ever there were people who could not be united, it was Jews and Gentiles. The Jews looked down on Gentile dogs. The Gentiles despised the Jews as a result of that. It was horrendous division, racism, separation. Jews and Gentiles, he's made peace between them by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles, jumping to verse 11, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple to the Lord. So if if this was the first time hearing it, but you have all this temple imagery, of what it means to come before the presence of God. Church, we now are the temple of the Lord. All that imagery is true, and all that reality is true of us now. It's where God meets uniquely with His people. We are carefully joined together, temple for the Lord. Through Him, you, us Gentiles, are being made part of this dwelling place where God lives by His Spirit. Jump to chapter 3, verse 6, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 10, and I finish with this. God's purpose. So why has God done this through the ages? Why has he taken two people and made them one? God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wisdom of God is on display today. Look at each other. You are God's cosmic PR plan. You might not think God has a good PR guru, okay? But we, the diversity of the church, deliberately pursued and cultivated and seen, displays the wisdom of God. There are powers and principalities who look at what's going on today and they don't say, isn't that nice? 
They don't say lovely. They don't say bless you. They say, isn't God wise? Rich, young, poor, Asian, African, wherever you're from Ian, all of that. God, it's spiritually significant. And we will pursue this all the days of our lives to the glory of God. Hallelujah. That is why this is important and not optional. Now, most of the time we might be 80, 90% white British because that's where we live. But our hearts will be very different. And I trust, actually, we won't be that. We have a university with over 140 nations represented on it. And just in this room, we have a great diversity. And we're going to taste some of the goodness of that when I'm done speaking. Um, I wonder if someone can just let the kids workers know we're going to be about five minutes late, I trust. Because what I would love us to do now is we are going to have communion together. There's a station, bread and wine here. There's some on the table over there. I think those are the sealed pots, if you prefer. And there's some at the back there. And communion comes with an invitation and a warning, a soberness to it. Um, so communion, that's remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. But the soberness is if we are holding on to anything, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, if we're entertaining something with other Christians that the most holy God doesn't because of Jesus, we need to get that right. So just the sober moment. Lord, we invite you here. You're the one who has abolished the dividing wall of hostility between us and you and us and others. How dare we hold on to it when you have abolished it and you have welcomed us in. So please come and just nudge us gently in our hearts now where we need to apologize, confess our sin, forgive, ask for forgiveness. That in this moment, even as we do that, the nations, the what, sorry, the watching powers look in and say, isn't God wise? How he unites people who would otherwise hate each other. And Lord, as we do this, we remember you, we remember your sacrifice, we remember your death that made a way, your resurrection means you're the ruling king. And we're going to celebrate all that you have done, Jesus, in bringing us outsiders to the Father. And we look forward to one day celebrating with every nation, tribe, and tongue, declaring worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Amen. So this is what I would like you to do. If, you, if you're not a Christian, please don't partake of communion. It's a way we honor Jesus. It wouldn't be appropriate for you to say, I'm remembering his blood. When, But if... If you have questions and you think, I know God's real, I need to do something, come and speak to me. Worship team, I wonder if you could come up and, and play for us. In a moment, let's get up, let's go and have communion and find someone to pray with and pray with them. Maybe someone who looks like they're from a different place. I say that deliberately because who knows where we all come from at the moment. And go and pray. And just pray this. Pray blessing and favor and grace over them that they would know the goodness and the reality of intimacy with God because of Jesus in a new and richer and deeper way. And if you need to get your heart right before that, do that. And uh, myself and Al and, and Tom and other leaders who you might know of in the church would be very happy to help you. So let's stand, folks. Let's grab communion. Let's remember the goodness of God's and bringing a goodness of Christ and bringing us to the Father.